education of our children must be at the heart of our efforts. From Solid Gold Studios, this is EduThink, the show that explores education in South Africa. Here's your host, Gavin Kennedy. Hello and welcome to another episode of EduThink, the podcast where we talk about matters educational in the South African context. Here in the studio, we have human potential and parenting expert, Nikki Bush, who's an award-winning speaker and best-selling author. And Nikki's going to talk about her book, Future-Proofing Your Child for the 2020s. Also in the studio with us, we have Gershom and Jacqueline Aitchison, who are the founders and director and headmaster of Education Incorporated, a boutique school in four ways. Thanks, Gavin. It's great to be back here. So you guys have a little bit of a shared history, I believe. We do, actually. <laughs> yeah, I knew her, her eldest son when he was shorter than me, which is quite something because I think he's six foot six now. <laughs> In fact, they both came to okay. your school for extra Afrikaans lessons, That's I think correct. it was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. when they were in uh, late primary school and early high school. Yeah. And then that journey carried on just by coming to see some of your other talks that you did. That's right. And I've been intensely interested in your methodology in terms of uh, teaching (laughs) and, uh, you know, your approach, which has been really evolutionary and dynamic in in a fast-changing world. The last time we bumped into you, I think, was probably at Henley when we uh, came to a talk there a while back. That's right. It was the Raising Young Talent for the New World of Work event that I organized where I was a speaker and I had two other colleagues and we were really looking at um, a lot of the stuff that's in Future Proof Your Child actually. What does the world of work look like? How is it changing? How do we need to change our own mindsets, particularly as parents and educators, about how The world is unfolding because we have a very clear picture based on our own limited experience of the world about how things might be for our children in the future. But in fact, the world is changing at such a pace that our children's picture of success and happiness is going to be entirely different to ours. One of the people you had there was uh, Samir. Samir Rodi from O School, Google O School. School. You want to tell us a bit more about how that evolved from the conference? So we met Samir at that chat at Henley, connected with him through O School, invited to a couple of his events. And since then, we've actually taken kids to Dublin with Samir and O School to do... um, Trips to Google and Facebook and oh, Twitter wow, and places I'm like that. So thrilled it had a knock-on effect. It absolutely did. Uh, in fact, next year we're off to Harvard, um, also with Simeon O School. But it, the point of those trips was specifically to show the kids' world of work and what it's looking like now. And uh, one of the things that I saw in the book when I went through Chapter 6 last night, which you spoke specifically about schools, you, you were saying that you know the social and emotional skills, the EQ, are becoming. this is becoming one of the bigger indicators of success. And when you see places like Google and how they operate, it is very much about your ability to collaborate, communicate, work with a team, how to identify the skills that you need in that collaboration to make it successful. And the knock-on effect of that is how we present work in the classroom, how we do our group work, how we do our process thinking with the kids. Yeah, and I think that's really important. And so often parents get uptight and kids get uptight about group work and teamwork because there's always somebody who's not so good and somebody who's better. And it's going to be like that in the world of work. 100%. You you can't choose the person you sit next to and you've got to learn to collaborate and get along. These days in the world of work, there's a term called holacracy where you don't have to be the oldest person in the team to lead the team. Yeah, absolutely. But you might be the youngest but have just that skill or talent that's required for this particular task 
And that's what working in a team is all about, is harnessing those strengths and putting them to good use. Well, it was very interesting on the Google trip that we went on with Samir, the first one. One of the very intense conversations that happened was a conversation with all the teens. And one of their biggest frustrations in school is teamwork and collaborative work. And what it broke down to was a very unclear idea in their minds and in the minds of the teachers on how to structure it. Because just throwing people together doesn't mean you're going to have a good team. And I think it comes back to what you and Jax are talking about now. It's not just about the academic side of things that make you a good team player. But if you don't understand who you are, what your strengths are and what you contribute, um, you're not going to be able to contribute to the team. And one of the conversations we have from a very young age at Eduink about group work and collaborative work is, who are you? What are you going to bring to the team? And a good team is not with your friends. A good mm. team is with, is with somebody who has skills that you don't and that you need to tap into. What value do you add? Yes, absolutely. What are you bringing to the table? And that's a conversation I often have with young people who are leaving school or at university looking for a job, is that you can't expect a reward unless you first add value. And that's a fundamental law of energy exchange, really. You know, we exchange our time, we exchange our energy for money, we exchange our talents for money. So what value are you going to add? And for everybody in the workplace, and even parents at home, at the end of every day, can we ask ourselves, what value did we add today? Mm-hmm. And if we can answer that question, we still have a role to play. But I, I do think that the whole group work concept is multifaceted in that unless the entire environment has been set up to promote and facilitate that group work, it doesn't really matter if your kids are getting it right. Because, so the educators themselves have to be fully au fait with what's going to happen in that group work. You know, it's, it's again, from your book, you said if you allow that process to self-organize, it's a much more successful experience for the kids. It's about letting it happen, not making it happen. It's still within a facilitated space. It's not chaos. So the teacher as facilitator versus the teacher as the authoritarian right. uh, sage on the stage. So you at Inc. have done something different about the way you deliver the curriculum in some subjects. Can you expand on that for us? I think at Inc. we realize that one of our main roles as educators is to create spaces not just physical spaces, but spaces in terms of how we're thinking to be able to address these issues. I fully agree that the best dynamics you get out of a team is giving them the space to do so, but you still have to teach them how to be a team player. Mm -hmm. You know, if we use classic sports as an example, just pitching up and arriving at the rugby field or the cricket pitch doesn't make you a good team player. If you're a slip, you've been trained to be a slip. If you're a bowler, you've trained to be a bowler. If you're a wing, you're trained to be a wing then you can play freely and you can, play, you can play with creativity. I think that creating the spaces in terms of your mindset as well as the spaces that the kids can use and more importantly, giving them permission and the teacher's permission to be able to do that, knowing that there are going to be a couple of skin knees along the way occasionally and things like that, allows for a better space. I've also found that students respond very well to being given responsibility. And if you explain to them, with this freedom comes a responsibility, they step up because they've been asked to be more than they can be. They've been asked, they're not being told to do something. That power is now in their hands on what it looks like moving forward. And as an example of that, from the beginning of this year, in creative arts for grade 7, 8, and 9, we've made it a non-examinable subject. 
for technology, grade four to nine, we've made it a non-examinable subject. And the focus points of that is project-based learning, design thinking, and realizing that you can get a good result and a good mark, not just from writing an exam at the end mm. of the process. And we've taken different things that the kids are really enjoying and getting involved in with that they are running. And it's a very different learning process for the teachers as well. The learners are invested in their own process. Our children want to matter. Absolutely. They want to matter a lot. And to give them the space to matter and to have an impact is important. And to allow them to be part of their learning process. Education shouldn't be being done to a child. It should be something where children are developing their own internal locus of control. There is a myth and a misconception that children are born empty vessels. They aren't. (laughs) They are born so full of potential and so full of wisdom. And And curiosity. Curiosity. They are naturally curious learners. And so in Future Proof Your Child, the framework that we give parents and educators about future proofing children is in the form of a triangle. And it has um, six different levels. And it starts off with family. Mm. I say to parents, you know, we are the hidden curriculum. So much of what children need to know in order to succeed in life, they absorb via osmosis, via us. You know, it's the rituals, it's the traditions, it's the hang around together time, it's the conversations. We need to be talking our children clever, and that includes listening to our children too. It's not just us directing the operation. Family is your first team. Family is also the laboratory. This is where children get to test things out, where they get to push the boundaries. And it doesn't need to be a perfect space. In fact, I often say to parents that parenting is bloody, messy, and a huge leap of faith half Mm. the time. It's not a perfect science. It's just like a tea thinker. We want children who are arts and science based so that they can combine the strengths of both, we as parents need to understand that parenting is both an art and a science. So family provides that stability, that sense of belonging and togetherness that children need, particularly in a very fast changing world where everything is being disrupted and changing. Then the next layer in the triangle is actually curiosity. So going back to what we were saying, the children need to be invested in their own process. Curiosity and learning we have separated from school in the book because curiosity and learning starts from the time that baby comes out of the womb. We don't wait till we go to school to stimulate a child's curiosity and desire to learn. That happens from the time they are born. And we need to be providing that rich environment for them uh, in which they can learn and discover for themselves. And that's what's important is that children need to play. They need to be physically interacting with their world, working out how does it work and how do I impact on that world. So there's this constant sense of feedback. I'm finding out my place in the world, where I am, who I am, um, how big I am, and what can I make this world do around me, and how does does it feel to be part of this world? So we need to celebrate a child's natural curiosity and desire to learn. So one of the things that I talk to parents about is engaging with children in the curiosity, and my child does this, and I've created this, and I send them to this, and, and I say to them, my feeling is that what kids really want is if you've got curiosities, things that you're interested in, you do them because that's what you're passionate about, and the kids join you if they want to. 
because then suddenly you are starting to share that curiosity. It's not artificial. It's very real as well. And it's not about creating spaces and the quality time that, you know, the latchkey kids that we are, our parents were taught to have quality time with us. My feeling it is just having time with your kids, genuine time. It might be a conversation. It might be something that you've heard on the news or watched on television, or it might be that you, you can, you're interested in fishing. You go fishing. Oh, dad, can I come with you? That's great. You're speaking to what I call togetherness and togetherness can happen anywhere. It's the partnership between the home and the school that for me just becomes, it is so paramount. You know, if you, you most psycho 101 textbooks will tell you that it's the school and the home that are the primary socializers of a child. And this is why. 100%. So, so we have, a, we have yeah. fewer, we have more and more single households. Mm-hmm. We have fewer fathers in the picture. So where are they getting that? They're getting that at school. So, yes. so looking at the future world of work, it's a phrase that keeps coming up. We talk about children having multiple career paths, shorter and shorter cycles of doing things. How's that affecting teaching and teachers? I'd like to, to phrase that by asking Nikki a question in that regard, because I'm hoping it'll come back to that point. 10th anniversary, an updated edition. 10 years ago, you looked in a crystal ball, something I do on a daily basis with kids, and you said, this is what it's going to look like, and this is how we prepare our kids for 10 years down the line. What did you get wrong, and what did you hit nail on the head? And what necessitated the, the 2.0 version of this, basically? What you can do now, and this is why it became so necessary to update the book, and it's about a 60% revision, is that you can take your pen and you can go through the 2008 version and you can tick as you go through the book. Oh, this is happening, that happened, that happened, that, oh, this is on its way. People couldn't see the future in 2008. Our job in the first version of the book was to say, well, the tsunami is building in the background. The wave is building and those building blocks of change are being put in place in the research and development laboratories of the world. It was kind of a figment of the imagination. Just think, 2007 was the first year we got a smartphone. Our eyes were just kind of starting to open about what this smart world might look like because we had a a smartphone in our hand. We're at a point of the change is not coming. The change is here, and it's the magnitude of disruption it will bring that we have tried to unpack in the book now. What hasn't changed are the fundamentals about child development. Human beings still develop in the same way that they did 10 years ago and 20 years ago. The fundamentals of being curious and learning and needing concrete, interactive, multi-sensory experiences with the world has not disappeared. But we are living in a world where, of course, children have far more access to digital and on-screen activities, which means we have to be a lot more intentional and conscious about making sure we give them a balanced access to real and virtual worlds. And it's not an either-or world, it's an and world. It's got inherent dangers just like life has always had inherent dangers. It's a double-edged sword. There's opportunities and possibilities, and there's paradoxes and complexities and dangers. And our role as facilitators for our children is to be awake to all of these things and to ensure that our children are engaged sufficiently with technology, that they are going to bolt on to a degree or a tertiary education qualification, robotics and coding and artificial intelligence and machine learning because that is where the world is going and take the most futuristic angle on any profession that you might like to engage with in the future. And by the same token, we go back to the fact that teamwork, human beings, the arts, philosophy, poetry, all of these things are still vitally important. So we go 
into the book, a little bit into the Ikigai Japanese philosophy of creating a life of meaning. And now our millennials are doing quite an interesting job in introducing this concept. And you met Samir Roji. He was a classic poster boy for illustrating how even we as older people are looking at life and going, is this all? I think it was the founder of African University. He spoke about having a mission and not a major. And I think the millennials are very, and, and Samir is a very good example of having a mission and creating the majors and the information and the, and the skills that go around that. This tsunami that's coming in or that has started arriving isn't just affecting children in isolation. It's affecting parents. It's affecting teachers. What are you feeling is the impact with your teachers? Well, I think that um, to talk about the fact that people are living longer, to talk about that people are having multiple careers, not just different jobs throughout their life, that's a given now. Just to, to round off where I started looking in the crystal ball, because one of the parts of that tsunami, which I don't think we fully understood the magnitude of, and it's affecting the future world of work, it's affecting schools and education, is how our kids have embraced social media. If there was a tsunami of technology coming, this was the battleship on top of that tsunami <laughs> that, that's pounding down on us. And, it, and it, you know, when you talk social media and kids in school, everyone gets their heckles up, but there is a means to create meaning in learning about themselves and learning as well. And I think it ties into what Jax was going diving into at the moment. I'm more curious about what's happening with teachers. If we are, are gearing our children up, if we're future-proofing our kids to be able to operate in a world where their skills are going to be such that they are going to be changing jobs and careers dramatically and frequently, we're going to see the same thing, and we are already seeing the same thing in the workplace. We have millennial teachers in the workplace already, so of course they're going to be thinking the same way. They're going to be moving on. They're going to be trying. They're going to be in a school for a while, into corporate for a while, back into a different type of school for a while, a big school, a small school. This is what they do. And it's all about developing themselves and that mission. So this is very much part of what Nikki talks about in that we need parents to be on board, but parents' point of reference is what they experienced at school. And this is very, very different. So you're telling parents your child's going to have 10 careers of six years each. But the teacher's going to be there for 50 years. Is that really the person you want uh, teaching them? So there's a concept called boomeranging. You want to hold on to your talent. There's this big word, retention and engagement. You want to hold on to them for as long as possible because you've invested in them. But what if you give them a good enough, memorable enough experience that they leave and then they come back? You actually want them to go out there and broaden their horizons and acquire more experience. I call it coloring in your talent profile. And that exists in our building blocks of future-proofing your child, is that we need to be looking at ourselves and our children as raw talent. We are all raw talent. We have to broaden what we believe about what talent looks like. We have a very narrow view of what talent looks like. Parents talk about you know, the linguist, the mathematical child, the athlete, the musician, the arts child. That is such a narrow view of what talent looks like. And we need to broaden that, that picture because ultimately our children need to create a talent profile that looks unlike anybody else's. Your talent profile is the sum total not just of your qualifications your matric your degree it's how you cobble together 
that with your life experiences, that with the people you've met, the network that you have, uh, the family you've come from, how you see yourself, how what you know about yourself. It's a live, moving, tangible thing. It's not a wooden CV that is just a piece of paper. You need to be able to sit in front of a boss one day and when that boss says to you, can you showcase for me a moment in time when you were resilient? I think it's very important as parents to journey into the essence of your child beyond the subjects to the who. Who are you? Because in the world of work, the mantra will be who you are is far more important than what you do or what you sell. Because what you do and what you sell is going to change so dramatically based on how our world is shifting and changing. Giving your children opportunities to potter and ponder and revisit creations and being the observer of that process is essential to give yourself time to observe your children in action when they're in your orbit, which for most people is at nighttime and on weekends or holidays, and to not always be directing everything. So knowing your children for who they are, not just what they can do, is so vital. So my eldest was the child of a thousand questions. How does it work? I would have put my money on the fact that he would have become an engineer, and he did get in. And at the end of the day, we went from plan A to plan B to plan C two days after his matric results came out. That point where parents are choosing the yeah, subject. It's scary because you kind of feel, and I'm doing a lot of work with the grade nine subject evenings at the moment, doing talks at their um, subject evenings, where everybody is quite freaked out, yep. to be honest. The parents are paying good money in private schools and they want to know that their child is going to get a good matric and get in for the degree of choice. You want to try and keep as many doors open as you can. The kids, of course, are way too immature to be making this decision. I look at those faces in my audience and I go, I want to cry. Why do we have to actually narrow this down now? It's almost sacrilegious. It's just too early. It's, they, they, all they're thinking about is the next Snapchat and the next whatever. They're not thinking about what I'm going to be when I grow up. I mean, they are, but they aren't. They're now in this situation where it's beyond being in the dress-up box at preschool where I was trying on the nurse's outfit and the doctor's outfit. Now I'm actually being called to pin my colors to the master and I don't really know myself very well. The advice really is to, if you're going to go out and get a degree, make it as broad as possible. Don't narrow down too quickly. When you are studying for a degree, try and be, do something magical with your electives. So it's very easy to go and take business writing skills because it's an easy one. But if you're doing sciences, why not study philosophy? to introduce that tea thinking. And during your vacation time, go and do some interesting, you know, have some, some holiday work that's different maybe to what you're studying. So we need to keep our minds quite open and quite divergent. It's very difficult to do that with students who have been directed by parents who are living their child's educational experience through their own. Eduink's major role, and our, the biggest thing for us is get you into university because in your first year of university you will actually understand what is out there what the opportunities are and you will actually start doing what you enjoy doing every single metric that has come back to us and had a chat about what they're studying every single one of them have changed their degree and their focus in the first year and that is great yeah because you're a moving target because you're growing evolving and developing and so what does that speak to the fact that they're curious about themselves I was uh, speaking at a law firm the other day. I, I spoke at uh, Norton Rose Fulbright, and I had a 23-year-old who's obviously a rising star come to speak to me at the end of my presentation with tears in her eyes. 
And she just said, my whole life, I have done everything I've been told to do, how I was told to do it. I went through school and I checked the boxes and I went to university and I checked the boxes. So she's never been life crisis at 25. But you know, we're talking about the quarter life crisis. So we are, we are having these quarter life crises at around 30. We had such an interesting conversation about should she be aiming to be managing director of this organization at the age of 23 or should she be broadening her horizons that you don't have to go from A to B to C to D all the way to Z in a straight line anymore. And in fact, that's a key message when I do these subject choice evenings is that these days, and this is the flexibility of mind that we need to be developing amongst our children and ourselves. It's not that we're not progressing, but you can go from A to F and from F to Z and Z to H and H to B and back to A again. And that is okay. In fact, that is what makes your talent profile look really interesting and That was that hashtag that we talked about in one of the previous podcasts, not just the T, but... It's, it's the, a hashtag yeah. of skills. Multiple Where you're bringing the empathy yeah. and the, the soft skills onto that yeah. as well. I think a great um, analogy to think about how to, to approach these really young grade nines and probably more importantly their parents at the subject choice evenings is to, you know, if we were to take all our aging parents and put them in a room and say, those of you with a degree stand up, most of the room is going to stand up. But if we then said, those of you who have been working for over 10 years in the, <laughs> the degree you study. The direction of choice, yeah, yes. There would be very few left standing Absolutely. at that point. So I think the best that we can do when we're talking about a grade nine subject choice is what subject choice is going to give you the broader skill set for your first degree, your first qualification, because you have an entire lifetime of learning ahead of you. You know, kids have said to me, kids often ask, Mrs. Aitchison, you know, what did you study? How long have you studied? What's qualified you to do this? Well, you definitely went A, Z, B, Well, I did. And and for a long time, I actually (laughs) said to them, um, you know, I've studied, I've got about 10 years of tertiary education under my belt now. And they go, wow, that's a long time. And I I used to say, well, actually, no, it's just, it's a great example of poor planning because it was all over the place. Now, I'm so grateful for that because it was A, Z, F, it was all over the place. Unintentionally ahead of your time. (laughs) <laughs> but I use every scrap of it. I've joined those dots that Samir speaks about, joining the dots, coloring in their talent profile. And without that, couldn't do what we're doing now. If you had advice to the grade nine parents right now, what is the one sentence, the hashtag you want them to take away with them? Flexibility would be my key word. Keep that in the back of your mind. The world is going to change in ways we cannot even imagine at a pace we cannot imagine. So release your hard and fast picture of what your child's future might look like. We are making this up as we go. But if you dig deep foundations for your children, they will have the resourcefulness and the resilience to go and and create their own version of success and happiness. That is the key message that I have for people is when I say to parents, what's your wish for your children? Success and happiness come up straight away. And my answer to that is, Resourceful, resilient, independent children, that's the parenting goal that is realistic today because they are going to have to work with a future that we can't imagine yet. There's two concepts that I'd like to just add to that, and I think it bolts on very nicely. Every parent who walks through my office door says, I would like my child to learn to think out the box. And I said to them, and I, and I say to them, you and every single parent, and if your child is thinking out the box, that is the new norm. 
I said, your child needs to start creating the box that other people start thinking in. That's what Google's done. That's what Facebook's done. That's what it looks like in the future. That's what original thinking Thinking is. is about. And the second thing that I say to them is, we don't know what the jobs of the future look like. They're not just going to suddenly arrive one day. It's going to be this confluence of skills that are needed. And it's where your doctor, who's also studied Axi, is at discovery because that is the niche that has come together at that specific space. Or your engineer who studied actuarial science and can write the algorithms specifically that are needed for artificial intelligence and things like that. The artist who studied robotics, who's now created the first robotic stage show, for example. Those are things we never heard of. And we can't conceptualize what those jobs look like because we haven't got to the confluence of skills that are needed there right now. And I always remember a quote that Richard Branson put out. He said, you know, people keep telling that he's lucky. And he said, there's no such thing as luck. It's the intersection of preparedness and opportunity. opportunity. Upskilling yourself, creating, tying and coloring those talent profile blocks that you talk about are creating the, the space that when opportunity arrives, you are ready to be lucky. 100%. And making sure that you remember that your worldview is limited to your life experience. So I encourage parents to please invite other interesting adults into your children's lives to share their life experiences and to spot the talent in your child that you cannot see because opportunities often knock when other people enter your life and see something you've never seen before. So one of the most interesting conversations I've had in the last couple of weeks, the last month in fact, is we had one of our ex-KIP students come back. He's 27. I think he was probably in the same, he kept at the same time that Ryan was. And he came back and Kwanda said to me, Jackson and I are his spiritual parents. Touch the sides once a year with us. And he came back and he said, I'm going to have a bone to pick with you because you didn't tell me how important it was to travel. And he said, now that I'm traveling, I understand how important it is. And I said, Kwanda, of course I told you to travel. He said, no, you didn't emphasize how important it was to travel and experience the world and see other people's views and test your own views and values based on that. Therein lies experiential learning. Not all learning comes in a book or on an iPad or off the internet. We have to take that knowledge and put it into some kind of practice to prove to ourselves that we understand how the world works and to create that mindset of I am, I can, and I will. My last word on that is it's messy, it's noisy, there's tears, there's skin knees, but there's a lot of joy and happiness and success that comes from it. And I think in my mind, my message to parents about being flexible of mind is realize that experiential learning, what you want for your child, is not an ABC process. Sometimes you go back to A to get to the next step and it's messy and noisy and it's chaotic. Enjoy the journey as well. Thank you all for coming in today and, and chatting about this. It's really, really exciting. Jack Skirsch, good luck with Edu Inc. It's, a, it's an incredible journey and having read only part of Nikki's book so far, I'm amazed at how aligned your school is with what Nikki describes as school we should be looking for. There's really valuable information in Nikki's book on how to choose a school. Future-proof your child for the 2020s. And beyond. And beyond the updated edition. Read this book. And, it's a must read. And, yeah, and, and if in addition to being a parent, you're a business owner and you want to unlock the human potential within your organization, get hold of Nikki. Get her in to come and talk to you. She'll show you how to do it. Thanks all. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. 
You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.